You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on week three of our uh, series entitled Forward. This is really about discipleship. Many of you who are familiar with our church know that uh, our church exists for two things. We want to honor God and we want to make disciples. And Jesus' last words were that, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we want to break it down into what discipleship is all about. And this forward is really about us moving forward and not staying uh, you know, at status quo. I believe that all of us would like to progress in life. How many of you are envisioning yourself to be promoted in life? Please raise your hand, okay? You know, you want to be prosperous. You want to, you know, you want to be successful in life. You don't want to be uh, staying in the rut, okay? Uh, for, for students, you want to graduate, okay? How many of you are students, still students here? Please raise your hand. Hoping that one day you'll be graduating, right? Um, uh, one of my pastor friends, who's the pastor, a pastor with Dr. Demi in Cambodia, Pastor William Toringan and Saiki, was just telling uh, me last Wednesday that both their sons are graduating or have graduated, I think, yesterday. Okay, uh, Willis, uh, the second son, graduated as summa cum laude, and uh, Willow, the third son, graduated as cum laude. How I many of you would like to have children like that? Okay, thank you, Lord. Okay, and so. Uh, uh, we're happy for them. They finished their duties as parents, okay? So they're, they're, they're also graduating from tuition fees. But anyway, so that's moving forward. If you're a student, you'd like to move forward by graduating. If you are a single professional, you'd like to move forward by being promoted maybe in your, in your career or you want to advance in your career. If you are a single person, how many singles do we have here in this place? Please raise your hand. If you're a single and uh, you're proud of it, okay? Great, okay? Uh, you'd like to move forward by being a wiser single, right? <laughs> by uh, maybe by getting married, okay, soon, okay. So that's that's moving forward. That's progress, okay. But just in case you're called by God to be a celibate, it's also not bad, okay. The Apostle Paul and Jesus are both single, and they are happy about their calling, okay. And so that's also moving forward into your call. With the Lord. As a wife, you may want to have, you know, maybe a learning of new recipes and so on and so forth, okay? Uh, speaking of um, graduates or maybe about school, uh, I recently just uh, received a text or a, uh, a news a filler from uh, Rappler about the results of the bar exam and, and you know, the different uh, guys who actually made it to top 10. And as I was looking at that, I found out that there's actually another story that is, this guy is not a top-notcher. He didn't make it to top 10. But what's interesting is that his background was that he was an ex-janitor. He was a janitor, and he took the bar exam, and guess what? He passed the bar, and he's now a lawyer and an attorney. How many of you know that is moving forward in life? Come on now. That's amazing. And I don't know if... This is the first time that he took the bar exam, but that is amazing, okay? So that's definitely progressing in life and moving forward. You know, we have that. We desire to, to, to progress, to have some progression in life. But what about in our spiritual life? What about our walk with the Lord? Are we moving forward or are we staying the same? Are we the same person that we were about a year ago or 
five years ago. Hopefully, we'll all change for the better. And it's not about us doing it. How many of you know it's not us? It's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Amen. I know that all of us would like to have something that's changed in us. Maybe if you're married to a, uh, a wife that you would like to, for her to change. How many of you don't raise your hand anymore, okay? <laughs> there are some things that you want to be changed in your marriage. Or maybe the question is, what do you need to change? You know, most of the time we want the person beside us to change, but in reality, we're the first ones that needed to be changed. And so we're going to be talking about life change. We're going to be talking about moving forward. The Apostle Paul, when he, he wrote about this Christian life and this walk that we have, it's really about a race. How many of you are familiar with marathon? Okay, some of us, or some of, you know, some of you run the marathon, or some of you run, whatever, fun run, or a, a kilometer, or maybe 200 meters, or whatever you run, okay? And, and you know, and, and the Bible says uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, when the Apostle Paul was about to graduate, so to speak, in this life, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. You know, there is a race that is marked out for us. There is a race that you and I will run. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you, are, you and I are running the same kind of a race. I may be running my own race. You may be running your own race. But nonetheless, we are all running a race. How many of you would agree with me on that? And the Apostle Paul is saying, I have fought a good fight. This is also about a war. There is a fight out there. You know, that at the end of our life here on earth, my prayer is that we will have fulfilled the purpose of God for which He has called us to fulfill. Whatever it is, it may be as a lawyer, just like Romel. It may be as a doctor. It may, it may be as a pilot. It may be as a, uh, you know, an FA or maybe a doctor or a nurse or whatever it is, or maybe a housewife. Nonetheless, whatever it is that God has called you, we have to finish strong. And I long to hear the words of Jesus when He would finally welcome us into eternal dwellings when He would say, well done. Everybody say, well done. Well done. How many of you would like to hear those words, well done? Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. So we're really looking at, in the next six more weeks, it is our third week, what does it mean for us? to be a healthy disciple. And we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. Next week, we're going to be starting to look at what it is to fish for men. What does that mean? And what it is to, for us to be, to be fellowshipping with the believers. You know, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? Just to have a quick recap. This is our third week. The first week, we, talk, we talked about uh, you know, being saved through the Word of God, getting saved by the power of the living Word. We talked about spiritual disciplines and my prayer is that you have gotten into the habit of reading the word and diving into it and really hearing God from his word uh, second week we talked about growing in the grace everybody say growing in the grace growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our God it is not just enough to grow in the grace you're to grow in the knowledge as well and so we talked a little bit about essential doctrines, the doctrine of the atonement, the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of the resurrection, just a few doctrines. We didn't really talk about a lot, but somehow the basic essential doctrines of the gospel. And today we're going to talk about the beauty and the reality of a changed life. 
Life change. Everybody say life change. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that there is something that changed in our life. That is simply what it means. That something is different about you. And it's not your new hairstyle. Something is different. Something is different with the way you speak. Something is different with the way you think. Something is different with the way you view things. Something is different about the way you view life in general. It's life change. Life change means that every believer exhibits a life that is set apart for the purpose of God. Everybody say set apart. And we're going to be hearing these two words more later on. And I'd like to invite everyone to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. If you're there, would you kindly stand up as we give reverence to God's Word? We're going to be reading from the first chapter of the first book of Peter, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Let's all read it together from verse 15 and 16. One, two, three. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much once again for the preaching of your word. Your word is so full of life. Your word has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today, renew our minds, continue to change our hearts, and set us for a different direction as we obey you, Lord God, and honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, just to give us a Quick uh, background, uh, this, as I said, this series is about discipleship, but we're really focusing on the life of one apostle, and his name is Peter. Okay, we, we're going to look at his life from the epistles or the letters that he wrote. We're also going to look at it from the vantage point of the Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and also from... Uh, the book of Acts, okay, the, the young church when Jesus resurrected and when he left his disciples to continue the work of the ministry. And how many of you know that that young church and that small church that happened 2,000 years ago is really us now after about 2,000 years and the gospel is still spreading because of the small things that were started right there at Jerusalem. And so Peter was talking about two things in his letter. The first letter of Peter was actually uh, focused on these two words, okay, hardship. Everybody say hardship. And then say holiness. So hardship and holiness, this is actually the twin themes of the book of First Peter. And the early church were composed of Gentile converts, with licentious hedonistic tendencies and at the same time some of them were Jewish in origin with the Old Testament background so you can imagine the 
component or the composition of the church. Uh, both Jews and Gentiles coming together, uh, different colors, different race, different belief system, different backgrounds. But then how many of you know that Jesus is the one who formed this church and he's the one who builds this church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it? And so uh, it's interesting that even during the first century, they were going through a lot under the Roman rule of Emperor Nero. And so the Christians during that time were very much persecuted. And so the Apostle Peter wrote this epistle to basically encourage the saints and encourage the elect and encourage the young believers at that time to stay faithful in the faith, to endure hardship. Because, you know, somehow we can see that there's a correlation between hardship and holiness. Holiness is necessary in enduring hardship. When you realize that you've been called by God and you've been set apart, you're going to finish the race no matter what. And how many of you have gone through some hardships in your life? Please raise your hand. We may have been some, you know, we may have gone through some difficulties, some trials, some, you know, uh, challenges, uh, maybe in your health, in your marriage, uh, in your finance, maybe physically, maybe emotionally you're going through that. But the hardship of the first century believers is a bit different because the hardship that they have is more physical and persecution in nature. That they actually lose their lives for the sake of the, the gospel. If they confess that Jesus is Lord, that's it. They, they lose their lives and they don't want to declare Caesar is Lord because when you say hail Caesar, it's like declaring that he is God. But what they're declaring, the first century Christians is, you know, Jesus is God and he is the one that we're worshiping. And so for that, it costs their life dearly. And on the other hand, hardships are also used by the Holy Spirit in making all of us holy. So that's somehow the relationship of hardship and holiness. Peter started off in the first few verses uh, by saying this, In this you greatly rejoice. Everybody say, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, I don't understand the relationship between trials and rejoicing. How can Peter say, in this you greatly rejoice even if you're going through some, some difficulties and trials? Are they like masochists or give me some more, God? You know, are they asking for more pain? But I think it's more of an attitude. That somehow that the more that they go through that they're identifying with the suffering of their Lord Jesus Christ. That somehow even Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified just like my Lord and Savior, so crucify me upside down. His suffering, they're celebrating their suffering in the first century. Today, counting suffering, we complain, right? Ang idit naman dito. 35 degrees outside. Ayang hirap naman, walang parking. You know, you know we, we have so many complaints and a little suffering here and there. It's as if that the whole world is already coming to an end. But the first century believers, they talk about suffering just like that. Though now for a little while, you have suffered grief in all kinds and these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved what? Genuine or genuine. Parang Seiko wallet. 
For those of you millennials, you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? So that's like generation gap thing, okay? And may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our faith will always be tested. Jesus promised in this world, you will have trouble. Have faith in me, for I have overcome the world. The pastor, by the name of Adrian Rogers, said this, faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Because our faith will always be tested. Whether you plan on it or not, it will be tested. It may be a testing of patience, as little as that, or it may be a testing of someone being sick in the family, or you being the one who's, you being the one sick. Maybe it's a testing on the area of relationship. Maybe it's a testing in the area of finances. Maybe it's a testing in the area of, of your health. Or maybe an emotional thing, and so on and so forth. But whatever it is, as we are tested and as we endure, the Bible says we will come out as gold because that is the one that tests if our faith is indeed real or genuine. So let's go to the life of Peter. And he started off in this letter by writing that. But in, you know, how did he all start? How did he start his walk with the Lord? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20 is the beginnings of Peter. We know that his background was a fisherman, okay? And uh, both him and his brother, Andrew, were the first ones who were called by Jesus to follow him. And verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In verse 20, it says, immediately. Everybody say, immediately. Immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. What's the difference between a fisherman and a fisher of men? You know, God is calling them. You used to be fishermen. Now I'm going to be calling you fishers of men. A fisherman is someone who catches live fish and kills them in order for them to be useful for food. A fisher of men is someone who catches dead men and gives them to the master in order to make them alive for his use. Amen. There's a difference between a fisherman and a fisher of men. And I believe God wants to call each of us fishers of men. Look at the person beside you and declare to that person, you are a fisher of men. Yeah, You don't smell like fish, but you definitely are called to fish for men. And so Peter and Andrew started following Jesus. And somehow we see that in verse 20, it says there immediately. You know, the encounter was there and the obedience was immediate. Immediately they left their nets and started following Jesus. Maybe some of us, if Jesus would appear to us today in in the Hotel Vakasha, come follow me and I will make you, of course we cannot relate to the fisher of men, I don't know what he will say, I will make you what? A doctor of men, or I don't know, whatever it is that you're, or a lawyer of men, whatever your profession is, okay? And there's a parallelism there, would you actually immediately go and follow him? Or would you actually say, uh, Lord, give me like three months to think about it, or maybe six months, uh, can, I, can it be installment or something like that? Or can the commitment be like on installment basis, maybe 10% now, 50% later, and then the rest after ne uh, the next 10 years? 
But for these two guys, it was immediate. They encountered Jesus and they started following him. Life change happens when we start following Jesus. That's when the life change happened. Did they change overnight? No. Did they become perfect overnight? No. You know Peter. How many of you remember what Peter did? You know, Peter was, you know, a different kind of a disciple. He's way over his head sometimes. He, he, he speaks too much. You know, he wanted to be the leader of the band, so to speak. But yet, he failed many times. He was the first one who actually declared, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. And just a few verses after, Jesus is rebuking him and calling him, get behind me, Satan. But yet, we know that despite the fact that Peter was not yet perfect, the starting point of life change was the decision to follow Jesus. And I believe that all of us, at some point in your life, you've had that choice. You heard the call. It's hard for us to follow Jesus unless you first hear the call of Christ. When he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that is the call. And the call may actually sound a little bit different. I remember when I was 18 years old, sophomore student, taking up accounting. And I heard the call from my classmate. Would you like to attend the Bible study? And I said, not interested. But yet he persisted and he said, you know, we have a guest speaker and there's going to be a seminar in another uh, event. He said, there's going to be a rock and roll seminar. I said, rock and roll? Come on. Yeah. Rock and roll to the world. You know, of course, whatever, whatever it was. I'm not really someone who likes rock music, but I was intrigued when he said, you know, there's going to be like back masking and they're going to play it backwards. There's going to be like hidden messages there. So I said, sure, call me in. So <laughs> I went there. I didn't realize that that was a seminar about music, but at the same time, it was, you know, a tool for the gospel, and the preacher started preaching about our heart and how we grieved God. And I started getting convicted. And I realized that even as a young boy, though I was raised up in a religious atmosphere, my, my family was Catholic, and we, 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 you know, we, sometimes we would bring you know, the black rosary at home. And so I, I grew up in that environment. I would go to church every Sunday. I would serve as an altar boy. But at, this, at that particular point, I knew I heard, I heard the heart of God. And I just surrendered my life right there and then. And life change happened. It was not planned. I did, it was not in my schedule. How many of you know that many good things in our life many times are not planned? But it's all planned in the purpose and in the heart of God. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise for that? You know, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. And that's exactly what happened, unplanned. God saved July 25, 1986. That was my spiritual birthday. Went home that evening, and I started sharing my faith to my brother. My brother Bernard, we were just one year apart. And I didn't know about this Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But somehow I realized that there's something in me that is different. And I just shared to him. And you know, my brother and I were different as well. 
I am the studious type and I'm the religious boy and my brother is the, how do I say this? I have to find a word that describes him that is not dishonorable to him, okay? Anyway, just to give you a background, in the middle of the night, he would sneak out and he would go out in the village and meet some other young boys and they would call themselves Litro boys. He would actually live in Tahanan Village and I would cover for him. You know, he would actually go home, I don't know, maybe sometimes in the morning already. And so that was like his life. He doesn't like school. He doesn't like to study. And so, you know, that was who he was. I, I you know, we're different. I am the, like, I thought I was a good son. And he was the, the son, okay? <laughs> but yet when I shared to him about what I have felt, I invited him to the church one week. Several days as a Christian, and one week later, I brought him to the same church. And we were, that same Sunday, when he was there in church, he gave his heart to the Lord, and life change happened. He had an encounter with God, and he started following Jesus. Can we give the Lord praise for that? And as, It was not planned. I didn't know about discipleship. I don't know about, you know, come follow me, and I'll make you free. I didn't know about discipleship. You know, I, I should actually preach the gospel. All I knew that... I found something that's great and I wanted to share it to him. And I believe that is the starting point of the burden for the lost people. That there is something so precious that we have that you can't help but share it to others. If you found the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share it to people who are sick with cancer? Of course we will. And something that is better than the cure of cancer is here. Something which is the, the gospel, the salvation that is given to us. That from here on, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I are no longer going to hell. And we're saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Amen. That is great news. Come on, give the Lord a praise for that. And so life change happened that, right there and then. And so both of us went home that Sunday and I said, Bro, you're changed. Praise God. And so it was unplanned. And so my parents started observing both of us. We're not going to BF church. We're going to the Makati church. And so they were a bit concerned. But somehow what they realized is they saw a difference. Maybe in me a little bit. But with Bernard, it was huge. There must be a God. Guess what? After three months, my parents gave their lives to the Lord as well. And they were convinced that indeed God is real. And so early on, you know, in our family life, we all became Christians. And, we're, and it all started when we encountered the Lord and when we started following Him. It was unplanned. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, looking at Peter again, this fisherman who became one of the greatest apostles he was the leader of of the young church in verse 13 it says now when they saw the boldness of peter and this is the time when you know they saw a lame uh, beggar who was asking for alms at the temple and peter if you remember the story in john in acts chapter 3 peter and john said silver and gold i have none but what i do have i give to you in the name of jesus get up and walk and so that layman walked. And so they were now being questioned because of that miracle. 
But yet, what they notice is this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The difference was that they had been walking with the Lord. Life change happens when you and I start following Jesus. Life change does not mean perfection, but it means moving forward to the right direction. You and I have not made it yet. You and I are all work in progress. You know how it is when you start the construction of a building and we did the building phase two. Uh, we started about two and a half years ago. It took a while before we actually saw something happening there. It's all about diggings. There's a lot of dirt. You know, construction is dirty. Guess what? In the same way as God, you know, uh, molds us and as He sanctifies us, it may get dirty along the way. But yet, as we see that it's being dug and foundations are being built, suddenly, you know, just all of a sudden, a building is now rising, you know, after a few months. This is fast. And then eventually, it finished. If you're familiar with the building of phase two, it's done. But in the beginning, it's as if that nothing is happening. It's as if that there's no progress. Guess what? In your life, it may seem that way. You may look at yourself and say, Lord, why is it that I'm still like this? It's as if that nothing's happening. I'm still impatient. How many of you are still impatient? Especially when you're driving, especially when you're ordering from a restaurant, and the guy next to you on the other table, they came about 30 minutes later than you, and they got their order first. After 10 minutes, what do you do when that thing happens? Do you forget Christianity for a moment and repent later on? We are all work in progress. God is doing something in our hearts and in our life. Even if you don't see it, it's happening. Something is changing inside of us. Amen. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, something is happening. Be patient. Okay? Be patient. What's the evidence of a changed life? Very quickly, number one is we have a new mindset. I think one of the things that we can actually find or a proof of our being changed by, by God is there's a new mindset. Peter, we just read this earlier, therefore, preparing your minds for action. What does, it mean by, what does he mean by that? Preparing your minds for action. What he's saying is, don't just sit there, do something. It's, it's, a, it's an action, it's an active participation with what God is doing in your life. And he said, be sober-minded. There's something that happens when we encounter Jesus. Our minds are being renewed. The way you think is being changed. And then he said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to touch on that later on. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? The removal of your mind. No, it didn't say removal of your mind, right? But the renewing, the renewal of your mind. There's something that needs to be renewed. 
There's something that needs to be washed because our thinking is dirty and the Word of God needs to transform it. That's how we have a new mindset by not conforming okay, to the pattern of this world to have a changed life. It's not all about conformity. It's about transformation. We don't conform anymore to the patterns of this world. But now we are being transformed by God renewing our mind through the Word. If what you have as a motto growing up is, it is better to cheat than to repeat. Can you imagine every time you have a test, you're cheating because, you know, that's, everybody's doing it. And then suddenly... You bring this from elementary to high school to college, even in your bar exam. You cheated your way to your exam. I don't know if you can still do that. But now you find yourself cheating in the business world. Because it's a habit. It's something that you have done when you were like a young kid growing up. And now you have it. You have conformed to the pattern of this world. Or maybe you have a you know, a wrong belief that, you know, all, all men will cheat their wives. You know, I remember Pastor Ferdy, when he was attending a, uh, like a seminar before they got married, him and Judy uh, attended a, like, a government-sponsored seminar before they get their marriage license. And the speaker was saying, you know, all men, you can't trust men. You know, they're all going to commit adultery. They're all bigamous. They're all polygamous. And so... These are like new people about to get married. And this guy is saying that don't trust the one that you're going to get married to. Can you imagine what they're teaching out there in the world and somehow the idea of adultery is just normal? And so Pastor Ferdy, being a young believer, stood up and said, let me tell you this. I don't believe in And so he preached the word. And he said, I am going to this seminar to learn from you and not to hear a bunch of lies from you. And I'm here and I intend to be faithful to my wife till God uh, puts us together and till death do us part. And so uh, anyway, the world has a way of thinking. It's a pattern. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. A new mindset may mean submitting to God's perfect will. His good is pleasing and His perfect will. Even if sometimes it doesn't make sense. How many of you know that sometimes God will ask you to do something and it doesn't make sense? An example is giving. Why will you give? How can you give and have more? You know, the Bible says if you give, it will be given back to you. I'm an accountant. It was never taught in college. When you, give some, when you spend something, it's expense. But that in the kingdom of God, it's different. When you give, it will return back to you a hundredfold. I mean, how, it doesn't make sense. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't worry, we're not going to take an offering anymore. I'm just using this as an example. That somehow, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's will is always good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 8 says... Those who live according to the flesh have their what? Minds. Still again, minds. Way of thinking, set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by or governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. A changed life actually normally starts with a new mindset. And this is where we get the word repentance. Repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind, mindsets. The way they train their elephants when they're younger is they put chains around their legs. These young elephants would struggle and would try to pull their chains. How many of you know that elephants have good memories because they eat peanuts? I don't know if that's really connected. But you know, until they grow old, when they grow old, and in fact, the bigger mother elephant are bigger than the chains, but yet they don't struggle anymore. Why is that? Because they have set their minds that I won't get off this chain anymore. I won't be able to get out of this bondage because it's been set. And guess what? The enemy uses that same strategy with us. He will say, you cannot get away from that habit anymore. You are addicted to this whatever substance or porn or liquor or nicotine or whatever that is. Or you cannot forgive or you cannot be faithful you, you this is your background this has actually been done by your great-grandfather your grandfather your dad and now it's yours how many of you know that if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is gone and the new has come there's life change god can change our lives for the better it's not our work it's the work of the spirit of god in us 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 again. Let's look at the second part of that. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope for something that is distant in the future. Hope normally refers to the future. Singles, if you're hoping to be married, it's the future, right? Hopefully it's not in the distant future, it's in the near future. Or maybe you're a newly... Married couple, you want to, you're hoping to have children, kids, you know, that's hoping. But the Apostle Peter is saying, set your hope fully on the grace of the second coming. There's a coming again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's another advent that's coming next, you know, when Jesus comes again. We have been saved, that is the born again experience. We are being saved, that is the sanctification process. And we will be saved. That is the glorification process when you and I encounter the Lord Jesus Christ on His second coming. A changed life definitely is and ultimately will be the work of the grace of God. Apart from His grace, we'll still remain in our sins. Amen. We can't say that I did it or I'm naturally good. No one is good. Not even one, according to Romans chapter 3. Second thing about the evidence of a changed life is a new heart. Not only will God give us a new mindset, but there is definitely a new heart, a new heart beat. Joel 2.13 talks about rend your heart and not your garment when you fast. Rend your heart. Return to the Lord. Your, there's a returning to the Lord your God. That is what it means to have a new heart. Ezekiel 36.26 talks about, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will change your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh instead. There's going to be a miracle. It's a new heart that God gives us. And in, 
in First Peter chapter one verse fourteen, it says, "As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance." Obedience is really a product of a changed heart. We used to be rebellious before the Lord, but now because God has given us a brand new heart, then we start obeying Him. Obedience is ultimately a proof of a changed heart. More on Peter's writing in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. I was just reading Psalm 119, verse 112. Just take note of the scripture. It says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. To incline means to set it. To incline is to set it up. And I incline my heart to obey your word and to obey your statutes. That's in Psalm 119, verse 112. The longest chapter in the Bible. Talks about the word. Really about, when you talk about our heart, even the wisest king said this, to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. There's something about our heart. There's something about the heart that sometimes is amiss. When the heart is not right, our bearing is not right as well. That's why I believe that after God changing the way we think, there's also a change of heart. He doesn't stop with our mind. He doesn't stop with our brain. He doesn't stop with our mindset. He changes our heart. Your attitude in your heart has to be changed. Amen. And the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You know, murder is actually found in the heart. Unforgiveness is found in the heart. You know, listen to a person, how he speaks. Is this person speaking about complaints, about hatred, about bitterness, about profanity? Guess what? He may be speaking that with his mouth, but definitely what's in his heart is being revealed in, through his mouth. That's why I believe when there's a life change, God changes our heart. And from a bad heart, He changes into a what? Foolish heart. No, no, into a, a good heart. He'll give us a good heart. A good heart, I'm grateful for APE, annual physical exams. Because it gives you an indication of where your heart is standing. How many of you have had your APEs lately? Did you pass the grade? You know, I used to look at like this, all these results of, you know, triglycerides, LDL, HDL, cholesterol, and, you know, I, I am summa cum laude, beyond the mark. And I had to do something about it. It gives you an indicator of what's bad and what's good. And this is, you know, for that, you do it, but for the heart, nobody can change the heart. Only God can change a human heart. Amen. Verse 22 of chapter 1, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from what? A pure heart. Even our relationships is affected if we have a bad heart. We can only love another person coming out from a pure heart. Genuine affection and genuine relationship can only emanate when God changes our heart. Because for the most part, we are bitter people. 
Not better people, but bitter people. My last point is, the evidence of a changed life is a new way. Everybody say, a new way. First, God gives us a new mindset. He, gives, he also gives us a brand new heart. And then He gives us a new way, a new direction, a new course. In verse 15, it says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Meaning, a new lifestyle in the way you conduct your life, in the way you live. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And here we see that the expectation of God is that you and I ought to live holy lives. And how many of you know that it is on our own, it is hard to live a holy life and be holy? But yet, it is not your doing. Because you have been saved, you have been a partaker of divine nature, and because God is holy, we also partake His nature of holiness. And the nature of holiness starts from what Jesus Christ did on that cross. But yet, there is a certain way that we ought to have. It starts from the mind to the heart to a way of life, the conduct of your, of your living. Holy comes from the word hagios, which means to be set apart. God is holy. He is set apart. There's no other God like Him. I am the Lord and there is no other. Worship me alone. He said that. He is set apart. And in other words, when He says, be holy because I am holy, guess what? You and I have also been set apart. You are different. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you are holy. Hindi yung huli ka, okay? Sometimes huli tayo eh. No, but you're different. You're holy. People in your office will notice the message that you have. You're holy. You're set apart. You have a different purpose. There is a way that you are to live out. In Acts chapter 24, verse 14, the Apostle Paul was talking about the way. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. He's talking about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, which they called a sect. A, you know, this is referring to some of the religious people. I believe everything agrees with the law, and that is written in the prophets. Even in Proverbs, we see that there are two kinds of ways. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. A way that is wrong, a way that is evil, a way on the path to destruction. But in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 29, it says, The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to the evildoers. There is the way of the world. There is the way of the Lord. You and I are called to be holy. And we're to live out our lives, to be pleasing to the Lord. And you know, being holy sometimes can have ridicule in your office. You know, they can call you born against, or you know, holier than thou, or see... Si Father Ganito or si Mother Teresa or whatever. But guess what? When they have problems, guess who they're going to contact? It's going to be you. And they're going to go to you and say, can you pray for me? I'm going through some difficulties in my life. Because they see your life as holy and pleasing to the Lord. Guess what? In times of trouble, they can actually go back to you and you can use that situation to bring them to the Lord. Amen. Follow me and I will make you fishers 
of men. First Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This passage talks about your association right now. You are of a different kingdom. You are of a different origin. You are of a different nation. You are a royal priesthood. A priest is someone who talks directly to God. In the Old Testament, they would have to have a priest to represent them for God. But now, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, we can go to Him straight. We have direct line to heaven. Amen. God opened the way for us. He tore the veil in the temple so that you and I can go to Him straight and pray. And guess what? When you pray to Him, He hears your prayers. There's nothing more joyful than a father hears the cry of a son and a daughter. I long to hear, you know, my daughters come to me and say, Dad, I need you. I love that. I love hearing those words. Can you do this for me, Dad? Yes, of course. You're my daughter. How about God? He is our heavenly Father. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for His own possession. He's jealous for us. You and I have been called holy. Yes, not perfect. You may have some issues in your life right now, but guess what? The starting point of a life change is that you become a follower of Jesus. It's about progress. It's about inching your way with Jesus. It's getting there. It's a destination. It's a, de- it's a direction. Walk in the right direction. Amen. Walk in the right path. Walk in the right way. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort. Everybody say, every effort. Every effort means every effort. It's hard work. Make every effort to to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Somehow, I don't know, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, there's somehow a direct correlation between holiness and the way we relate with others. Be at peace with men and be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But yet you and I have been made holy because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Not because of your work, but because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And He robed us with His robe of righteousness. And He made us holy. And we can lift holy hands to Him because of the sacrifice that He has done on that cross. My last verse is this, and then we're going to be praying. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with what? With ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being changed every day. You and I are being transformed every single day whether you see it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, as you continue to follow Jesus. Guess what? You are being transformed every single day When Jesus comes back on that particular day as the judge of all the earth and on his thighs, faithful and true, he will actually meet with us. And when we encounter him, you will be like him, perfect in glory because of his work in your life. Genuine life change is ultimately a result of following Christ. Amen.